Well, good afternoon. It's good to see you as we worship our God together. The only announcements I have is to remember the announcements from this morning. How's that? We'll leave it at that. Let's take uh, the Trinity Hymn Book and turn to 615. Trinity Hymn Book 615. Come, ye thankful people, come.
seated. For our considerations from the Old Testament, today we're looking at Proverbs chapter 22. I will just highlight two things, if I may. One of them is, as we've gone along through the Proverbs, we've had quite a few verses regarding being surety for your friend's debts or other men's debts. And, for instance, uh, Proverbs 6, 1, 11, 15, 17, 18, 20, verse 6, uh, 27, verse 13, and today we'll see it in uh, verse 26 of our chapter. So this is one of the categories of, of Proverbs that uh, have kind of puzzled me that uh, they are given such stress here. But one thing occurred to me, and so put up your red flags. This is just uh, my, a thought that occurred to me as I read through the uh, account of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, where in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 18, he goes to Ahab, and he becomes, in a way, a surety for Ahab's uh, military expenses. Remember he went to Ahab and said, sure, my people are like your people, and I am as you are, and so I will fight with you uh, in this war against Ramos uh, Gilead. And and keeping in mind that these Proverbs are for kings' sons. They were for kings to remember. So I'm wondering if Jehoshaphat um, missed out (laughs) on this meaning of the proverb, because the prophet comes to him, and here's the spiritual application, should you love the ungodly and help those who hate Yahweh? So be careful uh, whose cause uh, you are supporting financially. And then just to underscore verse 6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up is um, um, a word of like initiation. Start them off uh, right has to do with consecrating uh, the temple, for instance. Uh, that that word there. Verse 15 tells us why we need to do that because folly is bound in their heart. That's that's. <laughs> That's just the way it is. If you don't uh, train them up in the way they should go, they will go in the way uh, they are inclined to go, and that natural inclination uh, will be towards folly. So uh, start a boy on the right road, I believe is the NEB's expression. But it's interesting that you may have heard the phrase or the interpretation uh, regarding the way he should go as uh, meaning suggesting that he should be trained according to his inclination or to his bent of mind. And the uh, NET has notes regarding that, and that's what I'm looking at right now. They say, 
This may have some merit in practice, but it is not likely what the proverb had in mind. In the book of Proverbs, there are only two ways that a person can go. The way of the wise, or righteousness, and the way of a fool. One takes training and the other does not. <clears throat> and then he speaks about this uh, man. This is actually uh, that, transla- or that interpretation uh, that training him according to his inclinations comes from the 800s, 8 to 900s uh, A.D. So it's very old. And then he quotes someone uh, by the name of W. McCain. There is only one right way, the way of life, and the educational discipline which directs young men along this way is uniform. This phrase does not describe the context concept perpetuated by a modern psychological interpretation of the verse, train a child according to his personality trait. I would hasten to say that uh, it is a legitimate translation uh, train him according to his way, not necessarily personality um, trait, but I think there's a danger of taking that um, the wrong way and not realizing, not keeping in mind um, that folly is bound in their heart. There's a right way and a wrong way. Your child is bent toward the wrong way, so you don't want to raise him according to that bent, obviously. So, Proverbs 22, a good name is to be chosen rather than great wealth, good favor more than silver or gold. The rich and poor are met together. The Lord is the creator of them both. A shrewd person saw danger and hid himself, but the naive passed on by and paid for it. The reward for humility and fearing Yahweh is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the path of the perverse, but the one who guards himself keeps far from them. Train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. If you get a chance to read Charles Bridges on this, it would be uh, very much worth your while as a parent or a grandparent to remember the importance of training that, starting that child out uh, right on the right way. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. The one who sows iniquity will reap trouble and the rod of his fury will end. A generous person will be blessed for he has given some of his food to the poor. Drive out the scorner and contention will leave. Strife and insults will cease. The one who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious, the king will be his friend. The eyes of Yahweh watched over a cause and subverted the words of the treacherous person. The sluggard has said, There is a lion outside. I will be killed in the middle of the streets. The mouth of an adulteress is like a deep pit. The one against whom Yahweh is angry will fall into it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. The one who oppresses the poor to increase his own gain, and the one who gives to the rich, both will end up 
only in poverty. Incline your ear and listen to the words of the wise and apply your mind to my instruction. Here's the beginning of a fatherly exhortation. Incline your ear, listen to the words of the wise, and apply your mind to my instruction. For it is pleasing if you keep these sayings within you, and they are ready on your lips, so that your confidence may be in Yahweh. I hereby make them known to you today, even you, Have I not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, to show you true and reliable words, so that you may give accurate answers to those who sent you? Do not exploit a poor person because he is poor, and do not crush the needy in the court. In court, for Yahweh will plead their case and will rob the life of those who are robbing them. Do not make friends with an angry person. Do not associate with a wrathful person, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Do not be one who strikes hands in pledge or who puts up security for debts. If you do not have enough to pay, your bed will be taken right out from under you. Do not move an ancient boundary stone that was put in place by your ancestors. You have seen a person skilled in his work. He will take his position before kings. He will not take his position before obscure people. Trinity Hymn Book 544. 544, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. 544. Stand together for the same.
consider going back to James chapter 1, and perhaps we could say I'm going to complete what we started last week. I don't know last week that I thought it wasn't completed, but I decided to keep going this week from the same passage, dealing with how do the people of God truly profit from the Word of God? And what effect does the Word of God have upon our lives? And this morning in our Sunday school, we, we were looking at that weapon called the sword of the Spirit, and Paul goes on to say, which is the Word of God. And, and, and the term he uses there is not the typical term for word, logos, but it's a different Greek term that refers to that which is spoken and uttered. And I told the young people that one of the weapons that, that we need to use, especially an offensive weapon to fight against Satan and to advance, is the Word of God. And especially as Paul looks at it, he's saying it's those little verses, it, it's those passages of Scripture that we memorize so that we might fight against the temptations of Satan. We use Christ as an example. Just when he was there in the, in, in, after coming out of the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan comes along and says to him, since you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And, and how, does, how does Jesus answer him? He answers him with the Scriptures from Deuteronomy. Thou shalt not live by bread alone. And, and how important it is for us to have the Word of God hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. And so James gives us some instructions with regard to how we can get the greatest profit from the Word of God. So in James chapter 1, starting in verse 21, which we started last week, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness... And all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the implanted, the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who dilute themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at the natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself, he goes away, and he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, that man will be blessed in what he does. And we'll stop our reading there. There's a couple of things I, I, I want you to notice with me that James sets before us. Two different individuals. One is a mere hearer of the Word of God, and the other is one who's a doer of, or one who looks intently at the Word of God. So first of all, notice with me the mere hearer. And here in this passage, James sets before us three things in particular about the mere hearer of the Word of God. First of all, consider his condition. His condition. James gives us an illustration to make his point. The man gets up in the morning. 
he dashes into the restroom, he looks at a mirror, and then he runs off and forgets what he saw in the mirror. He forgets. He's a mere hearer of the word. He, he, he receives the word. He, he hears the word, but it doesn't stay with him. He, he's in danger. And, and the danger that he is in is the fact that he thinks, because I've heard the word or because I've looked at the word, that's enough. There's nothing else I have to go through. So he basically goes through this outward ritual in, in which he simply looks and then runs off and forget. He's described as a mere hearer of the word. And then not only is that his condition, but, but he goes on to speak about a comparison, and I've touched on that a little bit, James gives give us this illustration of the man who, who looks in the mirror and there he sees something. He's got, he's got hair sticking up. He sees it. But then he runs off and forgets about it. So all day long he's walking around and the hair's sticking up because he forgot what he saw when he looked in the mirror. And James is comparing that to the professed believer who dashes hurriedly through a passage of Scripture. Maybe you're one of those who say, I'm going to read through the Scripture in a year. I'm going to read through it all in a year. And there's nothing wrong with that. Certainly not an evil practice. But oftentimes when one does that, they, they simply sit down, read through it as quickly as possible, look at the schedule, I've got to read this much, and every so often I've come across people who said, man, I got, I got two or three days behind and I've got to read six or seven chapters today so I can catch up. And it's almost like, you know, it's a, I've got to get there. And so they quickly read through it. They dash through the passage of Scripture hurriedly, but they never examine their lives in light of the passage. The man neglects to see the face of his birth. He doesn't take time to pray, to consider seriously what that means to him. The Word of God should be very relevant to us in every part of our lives. But how often do we take our lives and put it up to the Word of God so that we can see clearly how we ought to live, what we should avoid, to the glory of God. How often do we do that? Or are we content by simply sitting down in the morning, reading a portion of Scripture, and then checking it off? That's done for the day. Now I'm going to change my oil. And once that gets done, I'll mark that off. And then I've got to run to the grocery store. That's done. And at the end of the day, you look at your list and you say, wow, everything's accomplished. I read my Bible. I changed my oil. I went to the grocery store. All complete. And not looking at the list and saying, yeah, 
but that, that reading of God's Word, what effect did that have on my life today? We should come to the Word of God saying it is all profitable. And, and I'm speaking from a guy who spent a week looking at a portion of Scripture where you have a man who takes a captive woman for his wife and then decides to put her away and he's not to sell her. And I'm sitting at my desk saying, okay, what is that for us? What relevance? Is there relevance in this for me? How should this affect my life? And as I meditated and thought about the passage, I found my own heart, as I mentioned this morning, convicted of how often I have mistreated and misjudged people in a way I should have never done it. As a child of God, I should be loving, compassionate, and kind, and never abusive towards someone else. That's how we should come to God's Word with a desire to know our own lives in light of it. So we have his condition. He's a mere hearer. We have the comparison of of looking into a mirror. And then James tells us of some of the consequences that comes with being a mere hearer. If you're a mere hearer of the Word of God, James tells us he thinks, but he does not know. He thinks, but he does not know. Who dilutes himself. The warning of Scripture over and over again is that not to be deceived. Not to be deceived. And the word that James uses here is a compound word, a preposition that means contrary to, and a verb that means to reason. And what James is saying here is this man... Here's the word, but he reasons in a way contrary to the truth. I've read my Bible. It's okay. I've done my part. I've read my Bible. I need to do nothing else. There's false reasoning. He, He deceives himself. Here's a person who has his Bible, he reads it, he listens to it, and then he's concluding, I'm making progress. My walk with God is good. I'm growing because I read my Bible. In fact, if you talk to him, he can tell you about some of the truths that he read about. He can say, "I, I read this morning about this guy who was beat up and and how a Samaritan came and took care of him. And he can even tell you there was a Levite involved, there's a priest involved, and, and he takes him to a motel and, 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 or a hospital and takes care of him. And, and he's got all the facts down. He can tell you the facts. Yet the truth has had no bearing upon his life. It's had no effect in his relationship to God. I've read my Bible but it's not penetrated my heart. It's made no difference in how I live. James Blanchard says it this way. There's a difference 
between reading a menu and eating the meal. There's a difference between reading a menu and eating the meal. There's a difference between reading a prescription and taking the medicine. And there's a difference between reading the Bible and growing in grace. There's a difference between having five Bibles on my bookshelf and having that word penetrate my heart and making me the man of God that I should be. There's a difference between reading the Bible and seeing what my responsibility is in my home as a husband or as a wife or as a child I can tell you what it is, but there's a difference between giving you that information and pleading with God and seeking His grace and help to be the husband that I ought to be. You understand? There's a difference in these realities. What effect does God's Word have upon my heart? You might be able to play a good game of Bible trivia with the facts and figures of the Bible, and yet still never have the Bible penetrate your life and your heart and affect how you live. We might be wonderful theologians. We might have the confession of faith memorized, the 689 confession, so that I can say in chapter 3 it's about this or that. And there are five paragraphs, and the first three paragraphs deals with this and this and this. You might have all that down, and yet never have the Word of God affect your life. And we can be content with that. As long as I can beat you in a theological debate, I must be a mature Christian, living as I ought to live. And that's not always the case. And we ought never simply to be content with having a copy of the Bible, hearing the Bible, listening to the Bible. And believe me, we live in a time where you have more opportunity to hear the Bible than ever before. You have more opportunity to hear sermons like never before. I mean, you go to Sermon Audio. Do you know how many sermons are on Sermon Audio? I I don't know the number. Jason, do you know? (laughs) There's a lot. I mean, a lot. And somebody, people have asked me on occasion, how come, how come we don't have family conferences anymore? Some of us remember those family conferences and what a great time. Well, you know, a, a lot of times people came to family conference because they could hear from these preachers that they only heard about, or maybe they had a little cassette, some of you don't even know what that is, a little cassette they could put in the recorder and listen to a sermon. But here was an opportunity to hear some of these men, and now you can push a button and hear any of those men. So easy. And how thankful we are for that. But let us not be content 
by simply being mere hearers of the Word of God. So, so he, he first of all thinks, but he does not know. He looks, but he forgets. He looks, but he forgets. Sometimes, isn't that true with all of us? Sometimes it's true with me. Somebody may ask me, what did you preach on last Sunday? And I have to stop and think, what did I preach? And then I think about you, how, how I have spent the week getting ready. And, and uh, you know, how quickly we can forget. I mean, did you ever ask somebody, so what, what was your sermon about like yesterday? And they, uh, um, what was it about? And they can't even remember. Because the minute they walk out the door, they forgot about what it was really about and what effect it had upon their lives. We can hear the words, but miss the truth. Again, James Blanchard in his commentary compares it to a watch. And he uses this illustration. If you, if you, back in the day before we had digital watches and everything else, you know, we used to have those little hands that went around in numbers and so forth. And, and if you looked at somebody and said, the numbers on your watch, are they Roman numerals? Or are they regular numbers? Or are they just little figures? What's, what is it? And the man will go like this. Oh, yeah, it's Roman numeral. And then you say to him, and what time is it? And he'll say, oh. Um, and he has to look again because he wasn't really looking at, he just looked at his watch, and, and he just saw the numbers, but, but, but he didn't notice the time. And that's how some approach the Word of God. You hear it, you see it, but you don't take time to truly look at it. It does not transform your life. It does not change your heart. That's a mere hearer. He looks, but he forgets. And finally, he not only thinks, but he does not know. He looks, but he forgets. He's a hearer, but he does not do. He does not do. There's no response to our hearts and our lives. We've heard it, but we do not do it. We see it, but we don't act on it. The writer of Hebrews saw this concerning some of the Israelites. We read in chapter 4 and verse 2, For indeed we've had the good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Does hearing the word of God profit you and your walk with God? Does it make a difference in how you live every day? So there's the mere hearer. But I want to take a moment, and I've looked at these verses before with you, but I just want to go over it again because here's the person who, who's not only just a hearer, but he's a doer of the Word. He's one who profits from the Word. Remember, the Word of God is profitable. Sometimes I wonder how profitable the Word of God is in our lives. What benefit do we get from it? Well, here's a man who looks intently 
into the Word of God. And, and that word intently is the man who stoops down in order to get a clear picture. Remember the account of John after the resurrection of Christ. And it says, it says John came to the tomb. And what does he do? Does he simply say, Jesus! No, what does he do? He stoops down and he looks inside the tomb. Looks all, he's not here. He looks intently to find him. And this is the same word that James uses here. For we read, But the one who looks intently at the perfect law. So we begin by looking. You do need to hear it. You do need to see it. You do need to be in it to profit from it. Do we look intently at the perfect law? Secondly, we need to meditate upon it. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, abides in it, stays there, plants himself there. I mean, I must confess, one of the privileges of being a shepherd to God's people is I get to spend a lot of hours planting myself in God's Word. Believe it or not, and most of you might say, oh, we can believe it, we've heard you preach. I don't simply sit at my desk and it just magically flows. It's just, wow. Now sometimes, I mean, the outline's good and you think, wow, this is preachable stuff. It, some, it takes work. What's he saying here? How do we apply that? What does that mean? Well, there's a degree in which every one of us should be doing that. Just planning ourselves in the Word of God. Abiding in it. One man says, God does not reveal the deep things to the casual Christian who drops in for a chat. You hear that? God does not reveal deep things to the casual Christian who simply drops in for a chat. He needs to have continual company with the Word of God. So he meditates upon it. And then thirdly, he memorizes it. He's not a forgetful hearer. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. I don't know if this is my confession day or what, but, you know, I, I was challenged. When was the last time I've sought to just memorize God's Word? To memorize it. To hide it in my heart. How often do we seek to do that so that the truth is never too far. But it can be brought up in every situation. That's the idea of the sword of the Spirit. The sword, the term that's used is that of the dagger. It's not the sword that a man grabs with two hands and begins to wail on people. But it's more the hand-to-hand -hand combat with the dagger that thrust in and pushed out and thrust in, bring out. It's the idea of the Word of God. It's to be... There for the readiness, so that when I find myself in the midst of temptation, 
God's word comes to my mind as a means to help me to overcome that temptation. Now, I see you weren't in Sunday school this morning downstairs. I gave some interesting illustrations to the young people about how that works. You can ask Mary about that. No, but just an illustration about how Satan comes in very subtly and to have God's word at that readiness so that I can be ready to stick him with the dagger of the truth so that I don't fall prey to that temptation. So I've looked, I've meditated, I've memorized, and then I do it. I live by it. I live by that word. He does it. He lives by the truth that he's come to know. So that my life, by the grace of God, I, I, don't, I don't wallow in, in self-pity. I don't wallow in I'm just not the man I ought to be. No, I, I, I pursue being the man that God wants me. I've, I've got a long ways to go, but I'm pursuing it. I'm pursuing it. I, I want to be obedient to it. And there are times we need to take in which we simply examine our lives in light of God's Word. And our prayer is, Lord, where there is sin, where I'm holding on to things I ought not to hold on to, expose it, let it be known, so that I might confess and forsake it. If there's areas that I need to be more diligent in, if there's areas in which I need to grow in, and there's plenty of them, continue to reveal them to me and give me a heart that responds in obedience. That's how we profit from the Word of God. That's how we grow in grace. And so my question to you this afternoon isn't, you know, how are you doing in understanding theological truths? My question for you is, are you growing in grace? Are you maturing in your walk with God? Are you quick to confess sin where sin is revealed? Are you quick? Are you quick to take your life and put it on the path of obedience? where the Word of God is clear, this is how I ought to live? Or do you simply shut your Bible and say, I'm a failure, I'm not going to do it very well. How do you respond to God's Word? I want us all to profit, to benefit from the Word of God. And so may we look intently and abide in it being not forgetful hearers, but doers of that word. May God help us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do confess that we've not profited from your word as we ought. We have often neglected your word or we've heard your word and, and simply forgot what it said or simply did not allow that word to penetrate our hearts to be found obedient to it. Forgive us, we pray. But Father, as we confess our sins, may we not remain there, but with the help of Your Spirit and looking intently into the Word of God, may we be a people that are growing 
in our graces and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us. May it truly be our desire to be a people that are more like our Savior. So, Father, we pray that as the people of God, we would treasure your word. That we would find your word to be profitable. And that we might finish and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the hymns of grace, 393, hymns of grace, 393, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. I I pray that's our prayer. I, I want my life to be surrendered to Him. I want my life to be that which is devoted and passionate about Him. And that comes as we end the Word of God and benefit from it. 393. Stand together and
to sing it, don't you? All right, you're dismissed.